Weird Realities explores the paranormal, preternatural, and supernatural worlds that surround us. Here, we delve into those topics that challenge us to think outside the limitations of realism, where we test the boundaries of imagination and are forced to think outside the confines and restrictions of what is normal. We are the creators, the writers, the artists, and the insane. Welcome to our Weird Realities. Hello and welcome to Weird Realities. I'm Hadley Thorne, and today I have gathered a group of amazing and insightful women together, subject matter experts, if you will, to discuss the Emmy Award-winning Hulu series Handmaid's Tale, which is based on the dystopian novel by Canadian author Margaret Atwood. Now, before we get started, I'm going to introduce you to our panel of experts. Weird Reality's co-creator, editor, and professor, Gracie Ellison. Law enforcement professional and post-apocalyptic author Angelique Archer, author J.B. Havens, graphic designer, podcaster, and author Jenny Ashford, licensed professional counselor Jenna Jordan, author Voller, excuse me, Varla Venture, graphic designer, history and occult researcher, and podcaster Morgana Calder, voice actress, singer, and podcaster Finley Jones, and myself, Hadley Thorne, author and podcaster. How are y'all doing today, ladies? Good. Hi. Hi. Good. Good. Hi. Now, before we go Hello. any further, <laughs> before we go any further, I want to give a heads up that there's a trigger warning here. There are many situations in this series that are disturbing. The mood of the series is very dark and somber. And like I said, I just want to give a warning. And also, we're going to have a lot of spoilers. So if you've not seen the series, you might want to stop watching now or listening. So, where do y'all want to start? <laughs> you know, uh, um, I remember reading this back when it first came out, they had banned it. And um, the girl that lived next door to me had it. And she's like, oh my God, you have got to read this. And I remember being young enough at the time to think, oh my God, this could never happen. Forward, you know, 30, 40 years, and I'm like, holy crap, this is so close to being the world we're in. You know, at times it just seems like, you know, one wrong step, and this is where we could easily be. Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. I actually have a copy of the book here with me. I read this book when I was a teenager, um, and it had only been out for a few years then. And I remember it having this very profound impact on me. Um, and then watching the series years later, I, I think it made it, I actually went back and read it again. Um, because the way that the series was, has been done, it's really kind of taken all of those elements that are in the book and brought them into a slightly more believable contemporary setting. So it's not completely true to the book, but the, the general, idea that it could happen, the way that it was presented in the series um, also fed that fear in me as well. Of like, wow, we are just so close to this happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah I absolutely agree. It, 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 I we get closer every the, day. JB? Sorry, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't read the book as a teenager, I read it when I saw the show was coming out. So I wanted to read the book before I started watching the show. I've only seen the first two seasons of it. But 
actually, but um, I agree with you, Varla. The book really wrongly just blink, and then that would be our world, you know. All right, Gracie. Absolutely. I mean, we're getting closer to some of these events. I mean, if you'd asked me 10 years ago if any of this would be possible, I would have said there is no way. And now I think maybe, you know, you put, it, it, it made doubt in my head that, yeah, our world is changing so fast and we've got so many competing forces that want power. And all of them want to achieve power by oppression. And that would, you know, really bring me into the main theme of this book. I think it's about power and oppression. And the vehicle that they, they use to put those different um, pieces into place to make the world that they live in. And of course, you know, right now we're watching the fall of Afghanistan and, you know, we look at what the women there are going through and it's just frightening. News is frightening right now. It's scary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree with that, Gracie. And and I don't know yeah. if you guys remember the episode where like June and, and all of her, her friends are at the office and they're going and little by little things are being taken away until one day. Like all the women are told to essentially pack up, they're fired. Um, and, and so they're, you know, they're laid off from their jobs in mass. And I just find it terrifying to see a society where you have armed guards everywhere, the eyes, you have the eyes everywhere. And, um, you know, you can't really trust anyone. And you're, I think the women are kind of even taught to be suspicious of each other all the time. And you see them you know, it, there's just a lot of betrayal and, and a lot of suspicion until they all start to learn to, to work together. I mean, there's so much to unpack in the show, but to me, just seeing the fall of normalcy and, and like what Gracie was saying with Afghanistan too, you know, these, these are women who, um, June's mom was very pro, you know, she was an advocate for, for women's equality and um, just kind of seeing the deterioration of all that, it just starts in little bits, little things, just little freedoms start to be taken away bit by bit until one day there's nothing left. And it's, it's, it's terrifying. And I think that's how it starts is, you know, they take the little things one at a time and then it's mm -hmm. easier to start taking the more important things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's one of the questions that I have on my list of stuff to touch on was why do you think June stayed? Why didn't she leave when her mom left? Because I don't think that she, I think she's like a bunch of us. We, uh, what's the best way to say this? We see these things happening, but we think, oh, that can, yeah, that's not going to happen. And in her head, she's thinking, that's not going to happen. I mean, it's the United States of America. We're never going to get to that. And yet, that's what it's got to. I think, I too, think like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's all right. I was just going to say, we don't, I don't want to say we stick our heads in the sand because that's not true. We don't stick our heads in the sand. But I know that for me, sometimes I'd rather not watch the news. It's just easier not to watch it. It's depressing. It pisses me off. So I'd just rather not watch it. Well, you can't trust the news. No. 
Absolutely. Right. And and do you guys remember the episode where there um the people who are in Canada who are Americans that are now refugee status in our asylum status in Canada? Do you remember when they sing um the national anthem? They were kind of all standing and I think it was a national anthem. Yes. Um and that episode just moved me to tears because I you know, and why June left, if you like I'm from Venezuela. I was I was um, born in Venezuela and I still have a lot of family over there and I don't know how familiar you are with what's happening there, but I mean, it's completely fallen apart. And I think for a lot of my family, they don't want to go because even though things are horrible, that is their home, that is their country. And there's a sense of patriotism and loyalty there. And so I feel like for June too, she says, I mean, throughout the episode, she's like, this is my country. And like, you've done this to my country. And um, so maybe she feels a sense of obligation. Like we can't just leave. We have to try to make change. I mean, I'm sure there's fear, but there's also like, I want my country back, that attitude as well. Good point. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. kind of like, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the guy from World War II, you know, they came for the Jews, yada, yada. It's the same thing, the, kind of that same concept. Mm-hmm. If I don't stay and fight, mm-hmm. who's going to fight for me? Exactly, Morgan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Well, I, I heard a that... woman from Afghanistan say that exact thing before we completely left. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that I think that kind of touching on, yes, I do think that there's an overarching theme about the, you know, sort of power and oppression, but there's also a pretty key theme. And maybe it's because I read this when I was a teenager, but it's also about rebelling and it's also about resisting and it's about rebelling and resisting even when everything else has been taken away from you. And so in the book in particular, the phrase no lead to bastardes cabarondorum, which means don't let the bastards grind you down. She sees that in a cupboard. And I think that happens in the in the in a closet in the um, series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that means like that means someone else is resisting too. And so I think that has a lot of modern day implications. I mean, this book was written in 1986. So we were still in the, you know, tail end of the Cold War then. There was just a lot happening politically that is still in play today. And Margaret Atwood, of course, is no, you know, never one to shy away from those big topics. But there was something about that phrase of like, you know, don't let them grind you down that really I've carried with me my whole life since reading that book, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, to be honest. But I really, and I think that there is an element to that. And I actually was just listening to an interview on NPR and someone was talking with some, um, uh, some of the, a couple different women in Afghanistan. And I kind of clicked on like halfway through. And one of the things that this woman said is that one of the issues with the Taliban takeover is that they are going to, because women now in Afghanistan have like a lot of civil servant roles and are actually working outside of the home, um, which wasn't necessarily the case 20 years ago. And she said the Taliban is going to find that this is not the same country and not the same women that they tried to take over, you know, 20 years before that. And so I kind of, I think just thinking about, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the state of the world versus now and um, you know who is standing up and who is resisting and who is kind of fighting back even if that means you're literally I mean 
maybe you're smuggling, but maybe you're also just writing a note to someone in a cupboard somewhere that says, this is wrong and I see you. Well, mm -hmm. one of the things that I found interesting was the focus on feminist issues, nuclear war, but more, most importantly is what people will, excuse me, what people are capable of what people are capable of and mm -hmm. really and i read somewhere that gilead is the ideal male word excuse me world going askew <laughs> and it, it just is hitting because i mean i don't know how many of y'all have i don't know i live in a state where there has been a lot of oppression for women we've had yes. bills come up that basically want to make a women's right to choose a state decided problem so we have those overtones in our everyday life even now but when margaret atwood wrote this everything she put in this book was based on actual events found somewhere in the world at the time mm -hmm. and a lot of those things are still happening oh yeah because they're rolling back strides and steps that our foremothers and grandmothers made. You know, it, it, I didn't think I would be fighting the same battles today that my grandmother fought in the 60s. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, and look at our legislators across the country in both state and federal. We can't get through things like equal rights uh, amendments. We can't get through equal pay amendments. The Violence Against Women Act keeps getting um, voted against over and over again. And you just ask yourself why. And, and especially when you've also got women fighting you know, against them. You know, exactly. Got, I don't understand. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one reason. Women, but we've got the Serena Joys of the world. <laughs> yes. Uh, that makes make it... A, you know, make it worse for us. You know, it's like, this is why we can't have nice things. Right. <laughs> That's right. Okay. On a side note, uh, sort of kind of, my mother, you know, I mean, she's, she's in her seventies. I love this woman with my heart and soul, but every once in a while she'll come out with something. And it was back in uh, 2016. And we were talking about the upcoming election and she goes, well, I, I just cannot vote for Hillary Clinton. And I'm like, okay, why? She said, she's a woman. A woman can't be president. I'm like, okay, turn in your chick card. You're fired. You cannot be a part of the club anymore. She goes, what do you mean? And I'm like, mom, you're a woman. How can you feel that? And to this day, she doesn't understand why I was upset by that statement. Hmm. So we just got off the phone and I just left it alone for a couple of weeks. And it's one of the subjects we don't discuss. Speaking of Serena George, what an amazing actress. I was just blown away by her ability to you love to hate her and you can never tell really where she's coming from or what her true intentions are because she she hides it she was just i mean all of them are fantastic actors and actresses but in the end i think she only sees the female value of these handmaids for she sees them as just a vessel to bring new life into the world for her specifically and it's interesting to see how she was prior to um, the start of Gilead 
and how she was she was i think she was a writer she was um you know she had a um, she was a published author a published author <laughs> actually yeah she, she wrote their yeah. book yeah exactly she, she wrote and published their manifesto so to speak yeah she was based on uh, phyllis schlafly wasn't she yes she was based on phyllis schlafly yeah because yeah, that's yeah, it. I, that's why I really liked her character in the show because I liked that they had somebody like that that was kind of this big, uh, you know, particularly Phyllis Schlafly back in the day, who was like this big anti-feminist, even though she was out writing books and doing this other thing, but she wanted to like take away the rights of other women to do the same thing that she was doing. Um, so I really liked. But I, one thing that I thought though about the character of Serena Joy, I felt like in the second and third seasons, maybe a little bit. I felt like they were a little bit trying to humanize her, which I think is good because yeah. it's like she is a human. But in some ways, I was just like, yeah, I'm not falling for that. I still think she's a monster. <laughs> Isn't that where she, doesn't she go to kind of like champion the rights of the handmaids? Not champion the rights, but she tries to to kind of plead for them a little. And that's when she's punished by her own husband and the all-male yeah. council. Um yeah, I, I I think that yeah, they were trying to water her down a little, but she definitely regains that um sereneness that we all know and, and love to hate. Yeah, because like there was that one point where she was trying to like she got up there and like read out of the Bible. Like she was like, you know, we should be allowed to read. And then she got her finger cut off. Yes. And then I was yeah. just kind of like, uh, what did you think was gonna happen? Like when you pulled that just like this is what you wanted, this is what you advocated for. Did you really think exactly. it wasn't gonna impact you? You know, and it obviously doesn't impact her to the same extent because she's one of the elite, but it's definitely, you're definitely going to get some blowback from that. Oh, yeah, I she's think not that, untouchable. Yeah, yeah. And I think that she really did all of that based on when the commander was in the hospital and she took power back. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you know how she was, she brought in June and they were working together. And I think that she got off on that and really just felt her power back. And I don't think it was about the handmaids and about anything other than restoring her own previous power. I just think that's her personality. Yeah. It's, it's all about Serena Joy. And June totally called it. Like when she said later on in the show, when she was talking to, uh, you know, Mark uh, Tuello, I think was the guy's name uh, in Canada, where she said, look, she's like a total sociopath. Don't believe anything she says. You know, she's only doing things to get her own agenda. She doesn't really care about anything other than what she wants, which I think is totally true. Well, I think yeah. June's opinion of Serena was solidified after when she didn't have, when June didn't have the baby, when Serena had that party, and yeah. had all of her friends over and she's like, oh, <laughs> guess it was false labor pains. And then Serena is just like livid. And so she and Fred brutalized June. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the, the, Kind of because she tries to help Serena in different points. I think she feels for Serena in many regards. But I think after that, she was just done. Yeah, it's like up exactly. until that point, she kind of thought uh, that she'd been brainwashed into it, that she really was falling for it. And she was trying mm -hmm. to, you know, help distance her. And then mm -hmm. she just kind of showed her true colors. Right. Well, the, the power there is that the handmaids can have children. And the wives, like certainly Serena cannot and they do profile that that she that they tried to have a child and she was unable to conceive so there's a certain dynamic there in that 
um, you know, the power that the handmaids have is is the thing that the women, you know, the wives cannot get. I think that's an interesting point because one of the reasons she did not believe she could have a child is she had an assassination attempt against her for the mm -hmm. things that she wrote in her book. And for those that may need a refresher or uh, coming in late, Serena Joy did write a book where she promoted family values. All the women should be at home. The two Two income, two career household was what was destroying the fabric of America. And does that not sound familiar to everyone? <laughs> How many times have Good I heard laugh. that? Well, if women were just at home, everything would be better. No, it wouldn't. Well, you know, if how, women... do you, how do you think that's going to make it better? Right. Well, I mean, you know, in today's society, unfortunately, there are very few situations where you don't need a two income household. Exactly. I mean, you're just with life being what it is. I mean, yeah, sure. A lot exactly. of mothers would love to be home with their children, but that's just not an option if they want to feed them. Exactly. And to me, that's like Hadley was saying earlier, it's trying to take away another choice from us as women oh, you have to be at home and we're going to take away your ability to work and to have a bank account, which happened to June. So you will go home. And that was, that was very jarring for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, look, I, I, I love my children. They yeah. are my heart and soul. But if I had been a stay at home mom, I would be in prison right now for abusing my children. <laughs> Work was what saved us as a family. So. Well, and that's that's another aspect, too, is that you kind of can't win. Certainly today's mom can't win because if yes. you're not a stay at home mom, you still have to also somehow create, you know, all of these crafts that are Pinterest worthy and show up to all of these events and do your nine to five and do all the meal planning. And that's a right. very difficult thing to do. And so you kind of, there's that idea of women sabotaging other women happens constantly in, in like modern mommy culture. It's terrible. You know, there was only like a couple of years ago, some woman had like, well, it was before the pandemic, but some woman had set her baby down and there was a photo of this woman with her baby in front of her on a, um, you know, like on a blanket in an airport and the, you know, it had gotten shared all around. The woman was looking at her phone and it had gotten shared all around and all of these people were bashing this woman. And I saw some friend of friend, not a friend anymore, posted on Facebook and said, this is what's wrong with mothers today. And I just lost it. I thought, you don't know. What if she's checking in with the dad? What if she's just carried a screaming baby uh, off of an airplane? You know, I have a son. It's happened to me. I've been vomited on in an airport. You know, there's <laughs> so the, the fact that there are all of these moms taking this mom down for for this moment that was captured, you know, kind of out of context. To me, that was a real scary element of the kind of modern um, you know, armchair internet culture where people can go and slam people for their behavior, but actually never be held accountable for that. And I think yeah. that there's a whole accountability element to The Handmaid's Tale that um, really, you know, who is really accountable in, in this situation? I mean, we want to blame Serena, right? Because it's kind of her idea to begin with. 
But there's also this pandemic at play, right? There's this kind of element of mass infertility and um, people not being able to, the population dwindling and there being a fear of that um, not continuing. And so control, kind of to your point earlier about a woman's right to choose and whether that's state sanctioned, the control being taken away from the individual and um, so being put forth and in, in, supposed to be for the greater good. And we never, you know, whose good is that? It's kind of like when the, the Mexican, I think it was the Mexican uh, group came to see how they were living and everything. Oh. And she tried to go to the lady for help. And she's like, oh, God, no, they're, they're going to give us some of you was kind of her, you know, mindset yeah. because of the population and everything. Yeah. And uh, that was that was to me a, just a horrible, you know, reality when they they had that scene. I'm like, you would think if anybody would have understood you know, this woman who wasn't a part of it might, but, you know, the she looked at it as what was best for her country at that point in time. Well, and going back to what you said, Varla, which I thought was fantastic, like women have so many pressures put on them because we're supposed to be these, you know, professionals and we have amazing careers, but we're also supposed to be amazing mothers and amazing wives and sisters and daughters and friends. And we need to be involved in a million different things. We need to work out and make sure to take care of ourselves. We need to make healthy meals, but then also make sure we're doing homework with the kids. And I don't have any kids and I'm going to be honest right now. I struggle just to find, I work full time and then I come home and I write, I need to spend time with my husband. I need to get, you know, do things with the church, whatever that may be. There's so many different components and I struggle with that. And I think women today in today's society, we struggle with that idea of trying to do it all and do it all well. And you just can't, it's impossible to do every little thing and be the consummate perfect woman. Yeah. And you know, another thing to me that uh, I find very disturbing is this mindset anymore of thinking that women should want to have children and should have to have children. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's one of those things that, you know, if you decide you never want them, that's for you to decide. That is not for me as another woman to say, well, what do you mean you don't want kids? Mm -hmm. You're a woman. So, I mean, you know, big deal. I mean, but there's a lot of pressure on women in in, in general for that stereotype of you should want to be a mother. And I just don't think that's fair. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It's absolutely. absolutely not. I mean, speaking from my own, um, with my first marriage, um, which was a horrible situation. Anyway, I grew up my whole life not interested in children. I did not want to have kids. I wasn't a great big fan of kids. Didn't have anything against them, but it wasn't <laughs> something I wanted in my life. It was a huge argument with my first husband. And, you know, thankfully, how things turned out. I didn't you know we did have kids together. And then I met the my husband that I'm with now and who he is completely changed my mind. And now we have three kids and I love being a mom, but there's is so much pressure to have the perfect home and the perfect career. And you have to be the perfect mom at the same time. And you have to breastfeed and you can't use this formula. You're a horrible. <laughs> well, I, I've often said, um, full Jenna here. Person I and it's crap. Is seven, and- oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. I was just going to say that I had one child and I said seven pounds came out of me, but seven <laughs> pounds of guilt was installed. 
during that time. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it seemed like it started immediately. Do you breastfeed? Do you not breastfeed? You get oh, it starts fire. even before you have the baby, really. Absolutely, it does. Those yeah. leachy women, I'm sorry, they are just, woo, you know, they make you want to breastfeed. Yeah. And you're like, I didn't really want to do this, but okay. And, <laughs> you know, do you give a pacifier? Do you not give a pacifier? Like, it is immediate that you have that guilt installed. So what if someone offered you a solution? Enter Serena with this kind of, right? Like if you're of a certain class, no, now you. you have a solution. Yeah. Enter the monster. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to segue with this. Um, this actually happened to me. Now, keep in mind, I don't have any children. I am of a certain age and I've had a hysterectomy. I luckily look younger than I am. Now, Gracie and I used to work together, and we had a okay. male friend. I was who, a witness to this story. She, yes, we were getting coffee, and I was saying to Gracie that, you know, I'm going to be out because, you know, for six weeks because I'm having a hysterectomy. And he looked at me. Now, this is my friend. I mean, we were friendly. It wasn't like this is someone who didn't know me or, you know, and he said, and I quote, you're what's wrong with the world today. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, what? Wow. And he said, women like you who are just having hysterectomies to not have children. Mm. And I go, do you know how old I am? Y'all, he went and asked my best friend who also worked with us to see if I was lying about my age. <laughs> wow. He thought that I was in my, I'm, in my, I'm wow. close to 50 now. But at the time, I was like 45, and he thought that I was in my 30s, and he did not believe me. But y'all just don't know. And I'm sure Angelique probably has had similar things said to her, but one of the other things I've had said is, oh, it's okay. You can always adopt. <laughs> <laughs> and people assume that they have a right to determine what makes me a woman and you know you just the fact that people assume that they have a say so or that, that they have a right to say that because people who don't know you will say these things but they won't say it to a man are you impotent right <laughs> yeah so I'm going to confess, I'm not a feminist. I'm not. I, I was, however, raised to have an opinion and not to be afraid to voice my opinion. And I've never had an issue saying what I want to say. I'm not, I don't consider myself a feminist, though. But you are. I mean, you're as much as one as I am. Right. But this this show pissed me off so bad. It made me so angry. All of the all of the political crap and the religious crap. Yeah, I agree with it that. Just made me so mad. Yeah. I oh, yeah, you're like clenching your teeth the whole time you're watching yes. it in anger, and yet you can't stop watching it. Exactly. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I agree with you, Finley, especially yeah. with the portrayal. And I would complain all the time to my husband, and I'd be like, oh, I hate how they portray Christianity because as a Christian, I felt really um, offended and insulted by, the, by it all. And I was like, this is not the God I know and love, and my God would never 
condone these horrific acts. But then I, I don't remember who said it before we started all um, this this chat, but it, it was kind of cultish. Um, and that's, I think, perfectly well, said. And I think that's a great point. And Headley and I were talking about this getting ready for the show. And if you will recall, during all four seasons, no one mentioned the word Christ. No one talked about Jesus. No one talked about the New Testaments. Hmm. It is all Old Testament wrath and eye for an eye and and chopping off hands. It's very, it's very, it's it's really almost an antichrist kind of hmm. approach to Christianity. Right. You know, I yeah. saw something, or maybe it was in the last episode, that somebody made the statement, well, did you notice they ordered twice as many copies of the Old Testament as the New? <laughs> I can't remember if I, it was in the show or if somebody mentioned it, but yeah, that that's a very valid point. Exactly. Exactly. So, I, and if we are offended as Christians, I really think we need to keep that in mind, that it's not aimed towards us because they never really mentioned Christ yeah. at all. That's not even a thought. It's very well, vengeful. I just describe it as haunting. It was it was haunting when I started yes. watching it. And I'll confess this. I did not read the book, ladies. I I literally started watching the show. Somebody had said, you've got to watch this. And I was like, oh, okay. And I Same. started and I couldn't stop. And Same. I was carrying yeah. it around with me. And I was like, I, I could hear. The th I was like, you know, the whole thing of, you know, I was just everything they say to each other. I was I was saying those things in my head, and I'm like, "What is wrong with me? I feel like I'm being like <laughs> brainwashed with this stuff." Because it just it was haunting me. I felt so sick about the things that I was seeing. I loved how they, like, even they went back in ten years and they they were using iPhone fours at the time. And I remember looking at <laughs> yeah. going, that is so accurate. That was that time period, and I'm like. I remember it and, and they were so free to do what they wanted when they were doing the flashback. I loved it. But then you go back that, to the, where she's at now. Absolutely. And, and I think it's fascinating when you watch the show, you are so distressed out from the dark things of the show and you try to pull yourself out of it. And, and like you said, you see something modern or they play a song that we're all familiar with and it pulls you right back in. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you're not going to escape from this. You're coming back. Do you? You're in this with us. You're haunted whether you like it or not. Exactly. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And you're going to carry this stuff with you no matter what. And do you know exactly. who bothered me more than anybody was Aunt Lydia? Mm -hmm. Because oh, yes. when they the ants are yes, <laughs> when they flash back and she's taking care of that child in her classroom. Uh huh. She had the kindness. She had that motherly, that matronly, I want to take care of this child. He doesn't deserve this. But then the mom was trying and she got pissed off because she was rejected mm -hmm. and turned on the mother. Yeah. What's that about? Yeah. So, yeah. She was a horrible, horrible busybody. She was. She was yeah. terrible. Yeah, she was. Yeah. And that, that's what upset me because she was the <laughs> one that was brainwashing and just oh the way she talked to the handmaids was just like the way she talks them to like they were children exactly. you know and then i like when they did the flashback and they showed that she was a teacher and stuff so she was used to like talking to children but she was talking to grown women 
as though they were just this recalcitrant children. And it just like, that just made me really, really angry. I just kept, I was yelling at her like the whole time. Like, <laughs> Do you guys remember when they're in Washington, DC and they visit with Aunt Lydia to DC and all the handmaids in DC have their mouths like- Okay, um, the ring was yeah. just traumatizing. Yeah, something. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember oh. like, I feel like they asked Aunt Lydia, they were like, do you want us to be silenced like that? And then she, she, she's like Serena, like you don't know 100% where she's coming from all the time. And that it's great acting again, fantastic acting. But I, I feel like, and I think she said like, no, no, I don't or something along those lines. Um, and she always called them her girls, but like, I just, yeah, she really, I don't know. I know she was messed up. I didn't really love her backstory, like why she was messed up because of rejection or I, I don't, I didn't really understand all of what made her the person that she was in modern times, but she, uh, yeah, she definitely made you wonder, like, did she genuinely care about these girls or was this all about her mission to help Gilead achieve their means and their ends? Well, you look at her relationship with Janine and how multi-layered is that? Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, because when she first, <laughs> when she first, when Janine first got there, I have to tell you that I died laughing when she, when she was laughing at Lydia, when Lydia was telling her, telling the girls what all they were going to be doing. And Janine was like, screw that. I'm not doing that. I laughed. I, I, I hated I the part where they did her fault, her fault, and they were all pointing. Yes, at her. yes. Oh, it was, was terrible important. because that's what women do to each other. Mm -hmm. I, th I think I read that in that very, and I, I recognized her as in like the very first season in one of the first episodes where they're all sort of humiliating a handmaid, and Margaret Atwood is in that scene. So I was going to say, Jen, it's okay that you haven't read the book because I'm pretty sure Margaret Atwood signed off on every episode of this. She's like a producer or something. She, yeah. she's, I think she was like, a, you know, consulted on all the screen and it is completely, there's a lot of differences mostly because it, it's more, it's more, it's modernized. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, I read this quote from her because I thought, God, was that Margaret Atwood? Because she's very distinct looking, right? She has this like really frizzy kind of uh -huh. grayish hair. And I, I think Margaret Atwood was in that torture scene. And so I Googled it. And of course, I didn't want to have any spoilers or whatever, but it did, she was in it. And she actually said that it deeply, deeply disturbed her, even though it was a scene. It's it was a scene that she had written. But to to see, you know, and of course, for her, it's 30 years later. Right. But to see that actually come to life for all of these women were surrounding yes. and humiliating this woman for being and to be right. part of that. She, she said it was it was very disturbing. And um, I just thought that was kind of a kind of a cool little tidbit that she had that been there cool. and really felt the impact and the the magnitude of that scene. And that's how they sort of set the whole series up. So, yeah, it's kind of it just so powerful. And it was that kind of stuff that just stuck with me, like everybody pointing and going her fault. And it was like, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> June's not wanting to do it, but she's like, put your hand up and say it like yeah, she's going to get you're going to get cattle prodded. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, the, the ants really reminded me of, and we've seen all of this um, come forward just even in the last year, the reality of these sort of like women and children homes in particular, like in Ireland, where um, 
you know, these young girls are sent away and they have babies and the babies are taken from them and adopted out. And they basically have no rights because they had sex before marriage. And so there's an element with the, with um, the ants and the whole kind of like convent sort of element to it that um, isn't anti-Catholicism it's anti um, abuse and abuse of power. And so I think that that's, that's something that uh, there's a lot of instances of that obviously throughout time and history, in particular with the Catholic church and their attitude toward women and women's rights and, you know, you know, burning witches and all, all manner of things. But there's, there's a certain element in there where it's drawing out the the real crime there and i think we'd like to think that we're insulated from that today and then we find out about mass graves of you know indigenous children who were put into these homes under the veil of um you know the greater good and and i mean i i want to know who he he is whose eye are we under right because is it the commander? Is it God? It's never really clear whose eye we're under, but we're definitely under an eye at all times. The male patriarchy. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. That's how I, I take it. I mean, I, I know that to me they allude that it's God, but really it's the men that are the commanders, the men that are in charge. Right. They're like speaking for God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they have godlike problems or um, egos, I should say. <laughs> but the slut shaming of the show was just, that was horrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. To have the women segregated like they were into breeders, whores, yeah. you know, and then the Marthas or what, what would you call them? Like slaves. Servant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, I don't know if you noticed that the um, the ants kind of outfits were very Nazi-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, they were. And then you have the blue um, for the I guess the wives was it very you know kind of Mother Mary. It was very weird. I mean, mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. so well done. Scarlet r- letter red, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The color of menstrual blood is what I read. <laughs> yeah. and see, I read that was also, fertility. Like, <laughs> red represented fertility. Yeah, that red. That's a nice way of saying menstrual blood. And it okay. made them more visible too. Like if they yeah, were walking yes. down the street, like against the gray, but like they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be able to like escape because yes. you could see the bright red. Right. And they're not they're allowed, allowed to walk alone if they're yeah. by themselves trying to escape. Forget it. Yeah. All right. They always have to be in pairs. Right. Okay. So was I the only person who there at the end, I, I've always liked Luke, but when he was having her go meet, um, what's his name? Uh, crap. Can't remember his name, but uh, Nicole's father. And he Nick. kept, yeah, Nick, there you go. He kept, pushing her uh well you know maybe you should take his daughter maybe it was like he was shaming her into Mm -hmm. you know that really ticked me off gracie and i we we would after every episode of course we'd have to talk about it Mm -hmm. that's kind of where this panel came up was we were we really wanted to talk about it because it Mm -hmm. was just so riveting but i told her um i did not think that 
Luke would ever truly accept June as she is now. He was never going to forgive her for what happened to her. Right, right. No, because some some part of him felt like she was responsible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think they did a great job of dealing with June's trauma. And I feel like Luke wanted her just to be back to normal. Right. You're safe now. You should be normal. You're okay now. Mm -hmm. And not knowing that the extent of the torture and abuse that she's been through. When she asked him to stay away from her testimony and he went anyway, I was so offended for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was bad. (laughs) Yeah, that made me really mad because I was like, I get that, you know, he was, I get that he was going through some stuff too. And it's like, you know, she won't talk to me. So, but she specifically asked him, please don't come there. You know, because you probably don't want to hear any of this stuff. But then that he, the fact that he showed up anyway, I do like that character. But I think that he doesn't, he doesn't really understand the extent to which she's changed. He doesn't ex- understand like the extent to which she has a lot of rage, you know, and righteous ang- anger that she totally has a right to express. And a lot of the other women have that as well. I really, really liked the whole thing where she, um, when she joined the group, like after she got out. And um, she was kind of, at first she felt like she didn't belong there because she was just like full of rage and it seemed like the other women weren't. But then as it went on, like she was able to kind of draw it out of them. And I really liked that they got into, she's like, you know, we have every right to be furious after what was done to us. And we have every right to like want to do something about that. And like you said, I think that Luke, you know, as I said, he's been in Canada for however long the, what is it like seven years? It's a long time. It's like seven years or something. And, um, you know, so he's had this kind of, you know, luckily had this sort of normal life while she's been going through all this stuff. So he can't understand because he wasn't there. But like you said, I kind of, yeah, I kind of feel like he just wants her to be like, hey, you know, snap out of it. You're okay now. Um, And I still think he blames her for not getting Hannah back, even though he says he doesn't. And even though he says, you know, it was my fault too, blah, 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 which it kind of was. It was no one's fault. Um, it was just what happened, but I think that in the back of his mind, he still has that, he still blames her. And I kind of feel like that's a big theme of the show. Like just women being blamed for everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even the, even the infertility, I don't think they ever say this outright in the show. Not that I can remember, but I think the implication is that it's not just the women are the men are infertile too, but because we can't blame the men for that, for shooting blanks or whatever. Um, everything has to be like put on the women's. Oh, it's the women's mm-hmm. fault. So they're the ones exactly. that have to suffer to fix it. Right. Well, I'm going to have to mention this because I feel like it's, it's a very interesting, again, complex way that this whole show has been taken to a whole new level is the victimization of the men. Because yeah. you have Nick who he, he does not want to do what he's doing. Everything Nick does is to survive. He yeah. I believe he truly loves June and their child, but he's done what he has to do to survive and he's still helping her. Yeah. And then you have, and I can't think of the commander with the gray hair that helped Joseph. Emily escape. Joseph. 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 You have him basically being raped by those men coming to force him to have sex with June. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the that, men are absolutely suffering as well, mm-hmm. you know, to differing degrees and not as much as the women, but everybody is oppressed in this society, really. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Well, and I guess that's what made me so angry with Luke when it came to that scene and everything. Because like I said, when he took in Nicole and raised her, he was like the perfect father to her. And then when this starts happening there at the end, it's like he's kind of pushed her away. You know, she's not mine. You know, it's like since June was back that he had done what he was supposed to do. So now it's all about my child, not at your children. You know, so I mean, I I was really offended on her behalf, you know, that he seemed to be acting like that. I guess going back to the fact that he went to court when she specifically asked him not to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, he says, now I know everything. And it's like, you couldn't possibly know everything. But I think he went to court (laughs) to support her. I might be the only person that feels this way. Um, He did. I I feel like he was going to kind of, I don't think he was like, oh, I want to know what happened. I'm curious. I think it was more he wanted to be there to support her because he gets really angry at one point when she's giving her testimony. I think mm-hmm. Fred starts saying different things that he's he's clearly enraged for June. Um, so I, I don't know. I struggled with Luke and June's relationship from the onset, um, but I also struggled with season four, well, or whatever I think the last season was, with June because I felt like, and I understood that she was going through all of these different emotions, rage, and she was justifiably outraged and angry and, and wanted to do horrible things to the people that had hurt her. But then I also, I felt like when um, Nick comes back in the picture and she sees him multiple times, or I don't know, I think she saw him twice in the, in the new season. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like how she behaved was fair to Luke. I felt like Luke had, Luke did raise a baby that was not his. And I think he did the best he could. Sure. And I think June was also as soon. I think before she even saw Luke, she was preparing, like mentally preparing herself to be blamed for not bringing Hannah back with her. And I think she kind of pushed that, um, like that guilt. Like she kept saying, like I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, um, because I think initially Luke was just happy to have her back. And of course, they want to bring Hannah back too, because that's like that's a, a child they both created and they both love her very deeply. But I, I struggled with both Luke at different points this season and also with June. Um, And and I felt like in some ways, sometimes how she treated Luke was almost like she was trying to bring back control and dominance over him. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that was- Absolutely it does. I mean, she pretty much like held him back. She was mounting him. I mean, like, (laughs) and I love Luke as a character, by the way, I'm I'm a big Luke lover. Um, I just think that he, wanted to believe that he'd heard everything like okay now that, that now that i know this he can minimize it and go now we can move on well I she knew ready to she, go let's move on from this Get she over. knew if he heard what all had happened that he would never look at her the same and that's any victim feels that yeah. way yeah yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely so i do believe that he went because he wanted to support her, but I think she knew yes. deep down he would never forgive her mm-hmm. for the things that happened. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Even if he didn't want to blame her. Yeah, yeah. it's just the way, the way he was yeah. wired. I, but I have to say, in all honesty, I'm a Nick fan. I like <laughs> Nick and June together. I liked them better than Nick, uh, than June and uh I Luke agree, Finley. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I loved Luke, though, in the first season. I, I, I did, too. I did, too. But <laughs> I think that she really, I felt like she loved Nick more than she loved Luke. And I don't know if it's because of circumstances. 
I just felt like their chemistry was. Well, they did have the chemistry, but I'm going to uh -huh. go out on a limb and say that you have two people who are, again, both victimized, clinging to each other in an effort to survive terrible circumstances. Yes. Because he knows everything that's going on is wrong. If you, I mean, he's just there because he needed a job, remember? And it's trauma bonding. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. And there's, that happens a lot. But so, they ended up loving each other. He wasn't taken by force, though. Right. He signed up. She was taken by force. Mm -hmm. True. But what, what could he have done? Not, you know? not signed up. <laughs> He could have not signed had, up. I don't think they had he a choice. He could have resisted. There. He could have, you know, draft dodged, basically. That's that's what people who weren't part of that did. They 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 essentially dodged the draft. Well, I think it looks like a, was it Boston or Chicago? I always got whenever they were Boston. 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 Did you see what it looked like? I mean, just war torn. It looked like like war torn. That was, that was the last season. It was Chicago. Yeah, that was Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Chicago. So, I mean, that's, I think that was his alternative. Um, maybe right. not at the time when he signed up, but I think, um, you know, that would have been his alternative and maybe he wouldn't even realize that. I think at first he thought this was just a job. He couldn't hold down a job. Um, but I, I agree. Like, I, I, I think he's always kind of been on the lookout for, for June wanting to help her because in the beginning, I think she was concerned. He was an eye. Um, but I, I think he always kind of tried to look out for her, even in the very first season, you could kind of see him, you know, watching her mm -hmm. concerned for her, trying to say a kind word, maybe, um, and give her advice, mm -hmm. right. you know, be careful of what was so it? So. I can't think of Emily's of name of Glenn. Was it of Glenn? <laughs> I think it was of Glenn. We'll just call her Emily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and I can imagine too with with um, with her and Nick, they're both for all of these years. They're in survival mode. Luke is safe in Canada, so he's never going to completely, like everyone has said, understand what she's gone through. Absolutely. But I, I don't. I also don't feel like he realizes that maybe her feelings have changed. You know, I think she probably deep down still loves him, but it's not going to be the same love she had for him when they were separated. They're just mm -hmm. completely different people now. Exactly. exactly. And that's a that's a common, I mean, from from war, coming back from war or yes. from other traumas, it's always difficult, especially if the trauma for women, if the trauma is sexual at all, being able to come back from that and have a healthy relationship with the person that you were with before that is it's it's a there's a huge, huge struggle there. And I think that, you know, you, you kind of have those sort of, war, there's a lot of war um, and past wars, and there's a lot of elements of, of World War II. I mean, you mentioned the Nazi uniforms, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, Hitler coming into power because things were in a bad state, you know, people weren't thriving. Um, you know, everyone was kind of poor, and he basically was able to create a scapegoat for everyone to kind of, for the people who joined the Nazi party to say, oh yeah, hey, that is the problem and this is a solution. And there's a lot of parallels between that and what's happening in Gilead for sure. Um, just with more of a religious cult overtone. Well, it was so cult-like. I mean, I can't even, let's see. They were making these women not just be sex slaves, 
but in addition, you know, if you weren't a sex slave, you pretty much either got to go to the nuclear radiation zone. Yeah, or, you know. yeah they but, just sent me out there. <laughs> sort garbage at the at the nuclear waste plant. Yeah, but you had um, what was it? They were supposed to stone Janine. They nearly got hung, and they thought they were all about to get hung. I mean, what kind of psychological trauma did these women really have at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. June June's moxie, for lack of a better term, is just incredible. The fact that she was able to get waterboarded and hold off as long as she did. And it took them showing her her child that last season before she cracked. Mm-hmm. That was powerful. Yeah. See that all the hangings and all that reminds me of the witch trials. Yes. yes I agree. Mm-hmm. Very much. There's a strong element. And even the outfits are very Puritan very. and very, um, you know, pointing the finger that whole, you know, t- to stone people. I mean, they would stone witches. They would stone accused women who were accused of a- anything. And it was often women who had some degree of power. I mean, you can see that in the historic record that uh, frequently it was an either an older woman who had, you know, wasn't attractive anymore and had land, or it was a woman who was younger and had some degree of power or confidence uh, and and the you know society dr- driven by the men wanted to take that away and so the easiest way to do that is to create a belief a strong belief system in witches and that witches are bad and you know one thing very quickly can lead to another and I see a lot of like very scary Puritan times element even in this very modern setting I mean yeah. this is what it was like for women in our country a hundred years ago. It really was like this, right? Yeah, 150 years ago, um, or, or or even even you know not even that long ago. Yeah. Well, and it's happening currently with the Taliban. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They are being, you know, they're taking everybody. Well, I heard different numbers, but basically, 10 years old or 15 years old on up, taking names down for bribes for their Taliban fighters. And yeah, the same thing happened in Africa, uh, Africa with um, that group, you know, kidnapping all those little girls, you know, mm-hmm. and making them wives. I'm sorry, an eight year old has no concept of adulthood, much no. less being a wife. I, that was one of the things that bothered me in the show was the 12 year old in the hospital when June has to wait while her and I can't remember her name what was the her walking partner that got shot when she had to sit there and she was finally leaving the hospital and the 12 year old girl said well they said that i'm ready to have babies well not now but soon that hurt my heart so bad i mean she's 12 years old there's no reason she should be thinking about having babies and that's what they were putting into their heads well, what about that commander's wife that was 14 in the last season? I guess oh, right. my gosh, yes. uh, that one was hard because I remember her in Troop Zero on Amazon last year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, what did they do to her? But I think yeah, she was in the haunting of Hill House, too. Um, she was one of the little girls on there. Uh-huh. Yeah, she, oh, I yeah, I knew I recognized her from like, something. Numbers. I think that's where she was from. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. a great yeah. little actress. Yes, yeah. she is. 
Yes, she is. But then, you know, the complete betrayal she felt when she realized Janine had come in to talk her into doing yeah. right. Yeah, that was, that was, that hurt. Because, you know, she, she thought that she was there as her friend. And, and in Janine's eyes, she was. I mean, very much so. But, you know, she was just a little girl, you know, and she's been betrayed by her so-called husband, you know, passing her around from man to man. And, you know, it just... Uh, and you know that sadly there are places around the world where that is just perfectly acceptable and normal and well but you have human trafficking mm -hmm. everywhere yeah. i mean it's it's everywhere yes it is hey jeffrey epstein and his friggin private island yeah and his black book well i want to go through the characters and kind of ask each of y'all what you think about the characters because there's some great characters, let's face mm -hmm. it. And I want to start with Gracie and the commander. Is she there? Okay. I'm going to skip to yeah. I'm having a technical problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which commander are we talking about? There's so many horrible men in this show. Fred. Fred. <laughs> Fred. Fred. Fred is fascinating because you know especially that dynamic with Serena Joy because she in a way made him who he is you know she she was the driving force to all that and he went along with it he agreed and he got drunk on the power and I do think Serena Joy felt like she would have a place in this new society and she didn't so i think that's a very fascinating dynamic and another thing too about the commander even up to the end he still felt like he didn't do anything wrong of course not. he, he was yeah. so entrenched in in that cult-like mentality that he would have never seen the light that was someone that was never going to be reformed. Well, and it's so fascinating. One of the things that kept coming up with a lot of these commanders is they were above the law. It's just like he let June come into his private study and play Scrabble, but women aren't supposed to read. Well, they did punish that one commander, though. They took off his hand. I'm trying to, I don't remember what his name was. Yeah, was the Yankee one. Of, you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that. I mean, he resumed his his um, status as the commander in the council, but he was punished. Because um, I remember that distinctly as being kind of one of the only instances I remember of that happening. Okay. Well, Morgana, what about you and Fred? What do you think? I loathe Fred. And, and, and he has done such a good role, a good job on this role, uh, Fines has. I mean... I, it's going to be difficult for me to watch him in something else because I'm going to always go back to this character. Um, I agree with Gracie and I really think that uh, Serena Joy thought she was going to have power in this new world and that it beautifully backfired on her. You know, um, she sowed what she had reaped. But um, yeah, I, I, I hate him. I really do because it, because he's a radical. He believes it. You know, and those are the dangerous ones. Angelique, what do you think about Fred? If you hear my kitten behind me meowing, but <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> um, 
So it's interesting because Fred, like Serena and even Olivia, they have moments where he seems like, you know, he's like, well, he's decent, he's well-meaning, and that's how he comes off as. And um, I think even Alfred at different times in the very beginning when he'd invite her to play, I think it was Scrabble with him, um, she kind of maybe views him as this could be a possible ally against um, Serena and maybe he can help me get my daughter. And I think even at the very end, and I hope I'm not ruining this, I think there was someone, was it JB who hadn't seen it all? I don't want to, I don't know how much I should say or not say. Um, but You're I, fine, I think, you're fine, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so I think the way that he goes out, he, he almost believes that, that June is still, that she still cares about him, that they still have that connection because I think he always thought that there was a connection between them. He would take her outside of Gilead to the club, um, to the hotel so they could have time away from Serena. And then at the very end, the look of betrayal when he realizes, you know, oh my gosh, like she's, this is, she's made me think, she's made me believe this and um, it's, it's over. I, I thought that was, it just really showed the depth of that character believing in this, this fantasy. But, you know, he was, I never felt like he, I think he wanted to feel powerful because I think he believed he was impotent. And so he wanted to have that, but I feel like Serena always ruled the roost, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And he would, he would become violent. And, um, you know, I, I felt like he was very violent when he believed that that power, that pseudo power was being taken away from him. Jenna, what about you? What do you think about Fred? I, I, I think he was trying to connect with her because he didn't want another person to kill themselves in that situation. I, I think he, I don't know, the first season basically alluded to the last person who put, don't let the bastards grind you down. That person had killed themselves. And mm -hmm. I think he was very concerned that he didn't want her to do that. And I think that's one of the reasons he kept giving her things and doing certain things, thinking we have a different relationship and she won't kill herself. That's a I good think point. started there. JB? I, I think Fred is it's one of those characters that, that um, I think when Gilead Fran wife book, he really felt like even even though he was wrong once it came about and he realized he had so much control over not just his wife but his handmaid and his household he just embraced that i guess and he kind of just went totally dark and june I agree with you jen i think he was trying to connect with her to prevent your suicide in his house and, and he just really came in a way which really sounds horrible but he, he tried to connect with her and like find fun and like i said because i didn't watch all the shows so i don't know exactly how how it ends for him i remember when he got arrested and he so surprised that people hated him so much. It's just like treat people this way and in <laughs> enslave half your population and then be surprised that people think you're a scumbag. I mean, hello, <laughs> get with the I'm here. Um, 
I don't know. I think I think he got what he deserved. You know. Hopefully yeah. he dies. Does he die? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jenny. I know it's funny. I was just going to say that uh, that exact thing because it's like as it goes on like you know in the end of the last season when he actually does get arrested and stuff happens to him and stuff like the surprise of it i think i said out loud to his character like while i was watching it on my laptop i'm like are you the densest man on earth or it's like <laughs> do you really think that all these people would like applaud what you've done and the fact that he's so clueless about it I think that really made him a very infuriating character for me and a scary character because not only is he a true believer, he actually does really believe this stuff, but he's also really seems to have convinced himself on a really deep down level that people will eventually like see him as a hero or see or like appreciate what he's done for them even though what he's done is monstrous and i think that even comes across in his treatment of serena joy who he does seem to like admire her um you know and the fact that he does give her some leeway hey you know now you can you know edit my speeches and do this other stuff so he does seem to like respect or at least acknowledge her intelligence and stuff, but then the fact that he can actually just turn around and just say, well, you can't do this. I think he kind of is more, he's almost more concerned about the optics, about the way things look. Um, he's just very, very interested in uh, just kind of portraying this image of power. He can do some things like behind the scenes and stuff, but he just wants everyone to see him as this paragon of virtue and it's just i don't know like, like i said it's just he made me so so angry and it's just like every single thing like the fact that he actually thought that june would be all into him and just be like oh i thank you so much for taking me to this brothel and it was you know what i mean yeah. it's like the fact that she'd be like all grateful about it i'm like just kind of i was just like man what the hell's even going on inside that head of yours but yeah so he was a very infuriating uh, character for me. He he made me mad more, maybe more than anyone else on the show. I don't know. That's kind of a hard thing to say because between him, Serena Joy and Aunt Lydia, they were all like pretty horrible characters and really made me angry. But I don't know. He might kind of take the cake. <laughs> Finley, what about you? Well, I think that he was probably he was drunk on the power, yes. But my opinion of him in the beginning, when they were flashing back uh, before Gilead, was he was such a coward. I mean, he was, I don't even know what the right word is for him. Like when they're in the hospital and she has to yell at him, she's been shot and she's yelling at him to get his act together. He, he just needs to snap out of it and act like a man. I don't, I don't know that he ever had control in that household until Gilead happened. And then he, I don't know what he thought. His balls grew 10 sizes that day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just. <laughs> well, Varla, what about you? What do you think about old Fred? Um, well, I think, you know, a couple of you made a good point about him, the way that he tried to connect with June, but I definitely agree with Jenny. I think that it's for him, it was more about 
it's it's like being you know the plantation owner you had to present a certain um you know you had to present as a gentleman and it was actually a poor reflection on him that his handmaid committed suicide he right. didn't really care if june right. was going to commit suicide or lived or died he cared that he would be removed from power because he would be viewed as flawed. Mm -hmm. um, but what's, you know, kind of the elephant in the room here is that the actor, if you guys know this actor at all, he has been like the love interest in all of these other movies. He's done tons of period pieces. He was in Shakespeare in Love. He's Ralph Fiennes' brother. Mm -hmm. So he's got this kind of, this, it, it was very conflicting for me in the first season, especially to wrap my mind around him being really cruel because every other role I've ever seen him in, he's not really been that. I mean, I haven't seen everything he's ever done, but enough where I felt like, I don't believe it. He wouldn't really do that. And so there's this weird kind of like lusty sex appeal that's happening with the villain, which is probably just a personal problem of mine, I'll admit. <laughs> uh, but come on, you guys are horror writers. You understand. Um, so there's that oh, also yeah. dynamic. Like if they had cast some dumpy old dude that like, you know, didn't have any sex appeal, it would be even easier for us all to kind of put him in this, like real easy category, right? Like, oh, he's gross and we hate him and we want him to die. I mean, I think we probably all collectively would vote for that if it was like a yes or no vote, but he definitely, he there, there's some more complexities there. And I think that um, he's very concerned with his, um, with his status. And so all, everything he does and all the decisions he makes, but I, I actually believe he truly loves Serena and that he signed up for all of this because he loves her. And then he's just reaping the benefits until he's not. Now I haven't actually seen all of the last season, so I'll reserve my um, full judgment of him until uh, the, that. But um, yeah, so he's, he's, He's complex, but you know he's gross, but in this like weird, weirdly appealing way. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we know that Varla likes the bad boys. Okay. <laughs> so our time is running out. I was gonna say what Varla just said. If he was like a really um, unsightly older guy or something that everyone would want him. It's like, a, and I've never seen this movie, um, Fifty Shades of Grey, but I have heard so many times again that if the main character in that movie or book um, was uh, like, I don't know, had no money, was unsightly, that women would not be, like you'd say, oh, what he does is horrible, but because they make him um, appealing in, in various regards, uh, that they look at, everyone looks at him differently. Mm -hmm. It yeah. almost condones yeah. what he does. Yeah, yeah. It's very true. true. And that seems like a deliberate choice. I'm, I, you know, I, I think I remember seeing something like behind the scenes of the show where they said they actually did want to make because I think in the book even Serena Joy is much older, so they said so they wanted both uh, sides of the couple to be younger, attractive people for that very reason. So it would be like playing type type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I need to read the book. I guess I do too. I definitely think well, you should. I'm worried, and, that, I'm worried it's like a time to kill. I watched the movie and then I was like, okay, I got to read this book. This is powerful. 
And I'm telling you, I couldn't get through it. Like, I no, I don't think it'll be like that because the book is um, the the series really is touching on just some overarching themes in the book, but there's enough difference. Um, but in a like, if there's enough difference that you'll get a different, I believe you'll get a different experience out of it. She also wrote a follow up book when this series was coming out. Um, and that's all from the point of view of the ants of Aunt Lydia, actually. Oh. Well, uh, it might change oh. point of view a little bit, but it's not from the point of view of the handmaid. And now I completely forgot the name of it. The Testaments. The, the Testaments. Testament. Yes. And it's Lydia. And she's talking about how that got established from her point of view. Um, so I think it's worth, I, I think it's worth reading. And I think, I, I think it the the show deviates enough and there's more modern elements so the book is more timeless and will it, you know it just it, it leaves you room to film the, the characters are not as in the handmaid is the most important character in the handmaid's tale the commander is not very um in my opinion a very deep character in the book um he's really sort of like a cardboard cutout <laughs> right he's really yeah. he could be yeah, anyone and, um, you know, he's not played by like, a, you know, handsome Shakespearean actor. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we're getting close to closing time. So I'm going to go through and ask everybody which character made the biggest impact on your view of the whole series. And Morgana, I will start with you. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, <laughs> Well, okay, you know, it's obviously, you know, Alfred is the main, but I don't think she necessarily had the biggest impact. I like her. I love her character, but I like some of the smaller characters. I mean, I like, like Moira's story, um, you know, just everything that she went through to get to where she was. Uh, when they, they flashed back on Holly, uh, her mother, and because uh, they're watching the film, I think it was about uh, the people out in the radiation fields, and she realizes it's her mother. Colonies. Yes, out to the colonies. Now that one really had uh, an impact because, like I said, you know, you don't think about. I mean, you know, your your family, your friends, and everybody are gone. You don't know what's happened to them, but then to see without question, this happened. You know, you, that that kind of to me makes it more real as to what everyone else's um, life has become. Because like I said, you know, when you're, especially when you're a victim, you're so focused in on what's going on with you. You really don't think too far about what's happened to other people. And I, I think that, you know, from her point of view, if it had been me, that would have just been devastating because it probably would not have had that. I, I don't think that I would have thought that deeply into it. Because one, you didn't have to. I mean, you just know, okay, she probably got away. You could tell yourself that up until that point. So JB, what about you? Um, it's a little harder. It's more of a toss-up for me between uh Nick and um the commander that tries to help June, the older guy, Joseph, I think. Mm -hmm. He um his wife is ill. And he loves his wife. He was like the professor or whatever. He's the one they force him to rape June. I can't remember his name. But he, he um, 
because it feels like for me he was almost like a double agent so he's like stuck in this commander role but he's really trying to help the handmaids and like refusing to abuse them but in in turn he is to go through the same you know tragedy that they do and i think for him he loves his wife and he's trying to do what he can to take care of her and i know like I would be willing to do horrible things for the people that I love, you know? So I kind of can relate to him in that degree. And at the same time, he's trying to get the handmaids, you know, and help them get out of Gilead and, and help them. So I know he's, he's, he's not even really a main character so much up to the point that I've seen, but I really liked him. He was, I think he's my guy. He's the one I like the best. Okay. Jenny. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Joseph is actually a really great character, too. I mean, as far as, yeah, I kind of wanted to go, like, a little bit away from, because I, even though I hate Serena Joy, that's still, like, a great, like, complex character. But I think I liked some of the sort of sideline characters, like some of the, the particularly Rita, um, who was, you know, the Martha in the Waterford household. Um, I just liked her because she, she was kind of, like, she seemed very warm, and she kind of seemed... Like she was kind of keeping her head down and stuff, but then underneath it, she was kind of doing all this stuff sort of behind the scenes, but wasn't really making a big deal about it. And I just think that that was, that was a great character because I like that they showed like rebellion in all its different forms. So I think that was really great that she was in there. I was also, I really, really liked um, the character of Emily too, particularly after she gets out and um, or there's actually that one, uh, you know, sequence where she's at, she's sent to the colonies um, and she ends up I don't remember what season this is. So apologies if it's spoiling anything for anybody, but where that wife ends up getting sent to the colonies and uh, Emily just ends up killing her essentially like in cold blood uh, by poisoning her. And um, just the fact that she was driven to do something like that. But then you don't, you can't even really blame her, um, was just like a really great, I don't know, that was something that made a big impact on me too. And then like when she actually gets back to Canada Canada, and gets like her normal life back to an extent and just her reflecting back on the stuff that that place, you know, that the way that place like turns you into these, you know, they make you do these kind of monstrous things because they're you know, doing those things to you in turn. And it's like, so I really liked that aspect of the show as well. So, you know, those are some of the smaller characters that really kind of made an impact. Angelique? So I don't know, I couldn't really relate to any of the characters, maybe June with Hannah and how, you know, Hannah was kind of her, I don't want to say Achilles heel, but she was um, enough of a motivator for June to give up the handmaids, her friends that she adored. But I would say, I, I think the character I found the most interesting and compelling would be Serena in that the actress was able and the character is able to go from being this intelligent and we might consider her you know, pretty misguided, very intelligent, strong woman who wrote these you know, controversial books and she was you know, doing a lot of public speaking to large crowds to, to being this woman who couldn't even read or write any books at all. Um, and I think that even though, you know, she's kind of at the top of this female social ladder in terms of the hierarchy in Gilead, she's desperately unhappy. Um, and it shows that, you know, even though the most like pampered and powerful women um, 
like she doesn't have purpose. She knits and she gardens. And I think she even mentions to one of the dignitaries that she sees in Canada, who's asking like, we're sharing each other's like hobbies and interests. And, you know, when Serena's talking about her interests about knitting, but you can tell like her heart is not in knitting and that doesn't bring her any fulfillment. And I think she believes like having this baby is gonna bring her purpose and it becomes like the driving force of every decision she makes. I just felt her character was so complex and so interesting. Um, even though I, I disagreed with so much, I was like, how could she ever hold another woman down while her husband raped her? How could she, you know, you, you ask yourself, how can you do all those things? But I thought that the actress brought so much complexity and um, just really sold everything well. And so I found that character, the one that I had a hard time breaking my eyes away from just because it's like a, like a train wreck. You just can't stop watching. Jenna? Um, I kind of feel like it's like the sex in the city who had the biggest impact. Of course, you're going to say Carrie. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> June immediately. So maybe we should like say not June other than June. Because um, June just, again, I go back to how powerful everything she went through and where she's at now, even, that she can't get past it. And yeah. that it's just huge. I mean, she was she was so much a part of like the dialogue and the narrating of the whole thing. So, yeah, I have to say June. But aside from June, I would say probably Nick. I liked watching their love affair happen. Um, it started kind of icky in some ways because of mm -hmm. Serena Joy being there. But yeah, that was very uncomfortable. Yes. Um, but you knew that they liked each other. I mean, I even when he had to get married and have sex and she was like, oh, you have to, oh, you have to fuck somebody you don't want to. And she's like, right, <laughs> making fun of him. I mm -hmm. thought that was pretty great. <laughs> Finley? Um, honestly, I really think it was Janine. Um, I connected with her probably more than anybody because she's she was so naive. She was so rebellious in the beginning, but then she became childlike almost. And yeah. she was naive and um, I, her and of course, Emily also. And I think Janine though is the one that I, one of the things that that really stuck with me about the whole series is that mental illness became a huge issue because of the things that were happening to these people. And I think Janine had some serious mental issues. Oh, definitely. And I think that Emily did also. I mean, it, they were all driven to murder. All of them. Well, they all had PTSD. There's no way right. they could have escaped it. All right. Varla, what about you? Well, I'm going to say June. <laughs> <laughs> but other than June, uh, I mean, June, because again, I'll just say, you know, from, from the perspective of having read the book and sort of rooting for this handmaid, because it is the handmaid's tale, um, I just loved that they cast this actress that you know she was a total badass in Mad Men and like stood up to all the men there yep. and then they put her in this role that I thought they could 
when I found out they were doing the series, I thought they could ruin this so easily yes. if they are not careful about the real issues. And if it's really not looked at with a feminist and a feminine lens, because otherwise it's going to be all about power and dynamics. And there's a lot more going on um, in it. So June, because she's such a, she, she's a resistor, but she figures out the best way to resist as much as she wants to slap someone in the face or shoot them, you know, she's playing Scrabble or, you know, she's (laughs) figuring out ways to subvert the system. Um, And so her journey is kind of what is compelling to me for watching the series. But what surprised me and what really changed my view of what the storyline really was about was the, um, was Serena because I felt like certainly from the book, I was so focused on the handmaid that I, you know, I just went into it thinking like, how could anyone ever do that to another woman? And the way it was set up and the way that she, um, she was humanized really did. And the way that the actress played her and seemed like this pretty like cool, pleasant person, you know, in the before times, um, and I think just sort of the dynamic between them in in the before times or in a different world, you know, they, they probably would have been at the same conference or, you know, um, June might have been her editor. So there's just this kind of dynamic between them. But she really changed my point of view in a fearful way of like, oh, that's how you get to that. That's how you go from oh, it's not going to happen to me to it's, it's, you know, the borders are closed. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I would say team June. <laughs> Racing, what about you? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb since everybody has mentioned some great characters. I want to pick one that wasn't in a v- very few episodes. I want to talk about Nick's wife, Eden. Wasn't her name Eden? Yeah. She was uh, yes. like 14 or 15. And she was married to June, I mean, to um, Nick. And she was so innocent. She was the innocent bystander of all these people around her that are making power moves and the result of this world that they built. And I thought it was so fascinating because she tried so hard to be a good wife. And Nick was being a gentleman. He didn't want to consummate his marriage with a 14 or 15 year old girl and then she fell in love with someone else and her and her her love i I don't know if they were intimate with each other they were killed for they were executed for their adultery and what really moved me is when they went into eden's room after that and they found the bible and found out that she had been reading the Bible and she had put all these intricate notes into the margins about different verses that spoke to her. And then when she was being executed, she quoted one of those verses in the Bible about love and acceptance. And they mm-hmm. pushed her into the water and drowned her. That was you know, like the YMCA <laughs> swimming pool or something. Yeah, it was everybody <laughs> watching. Everybody watching. And that was so surreal to me, but she was a product of that world and she still educated herself. She still learned how to read and she understood what was right and wrong. 
on that note, still executed for her choices. On that note, I'm going to say that we've been talking an hour and a half, and oh my God, it's been great. Thank y'all so much for joining us on behalf of Weird Realities. Y'all are welcome to come back anytime we do a panel or just to say hi. Just let me know if y'all ever want to do anything with us. And if you would, y'all take the time and let our listeners know where they can find you online and what you're working on. Right. Sounds great. It's been wonderful. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> All right, where can they find you online? Go, Jenny Ashford. Uh, easiest thing is just go to www.jennyashford.com. Most of my stuff is there. Or go to YouTube and search 13 o'clock podcast. Angelique, where can we find you? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, all your little retail stores. And then I have an Etsy store. And I have TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Awesome. JB? You can find all of my books on Amazon, and if you want to interact with me, just look me up on Facebook That's or Instagram. That's the best way to get me. Varla? Um, you can look on my website. It's varlaventura.net, um, or find me on, you know, just by that name. And my books are all miraculously still in print and available anywhere books are sold. <laughs> Finley, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Linktree, that's uh, Finley Jones 6221. Morgana? Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the normal channels. <laughs> and Jenna? Oh, goodness. This is the stumper. I don't know. <laughs> you didn't tell me I was going to have to say. Tell you guys this. I don't know. If y'all need to get in touch with her, just let me know. I'll find her for you. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. There you go. Like, yeah. Know. Need a filter. <laughs> Same with Gracie. Um, Gracie, would you like to tell anybody what you're working on? Um, just staying afloat. <laughs> Surfing yeah, the pandemic. We're on a lot of things right now. So yeah. All right. Well. Surviving. I've really enjoyed this special session of watching Weird Realities, Inc. Please leave a comment below to let the Weird team know how we're doing so we can keep bringing you the best content ever. Also, if you haven't already, hit that like button, press any thumbs up, and be sure to subscribe to the Weird Realities podcast channel and get notifications every time we add new content. Until next time, help us keep the why and weird. This is Hadley Thorne for Weird Realities, and I am out. Before you go, be sure to leave us a comment and let our weird team know how they're doing. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us to get notifications when we add new content. We are adding new content three, four, and sometimes five times a month. If you want to keep the conversation going or would like to learn more about our panel of hosts, be sure to check out our link tree. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Weird Realities. It links to our official Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and website.